Here's the thing. I said it's going to be five minutes, and this is going to be exactly five minutes. At the end of five minutes, if they are not done speaking, you're going to hear this sound. And they have to get off of the stage immediately. Hey, but I want to encourage you. It's going to be a phenomenal time as we, die, as we open up and, and read the word of God this morning. So I'm going to introduce our first speaker today. This person is a dear friend of mine. He has a heart for the church. He has a heart for young people. He is from Navasota, Texas, right down the road. And he has such a passion for reaching young people. How about you help me welcome to this stage, Devon Jones, as he comes and shares this morning. What's going on, church family? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Sit down, sit down, sit down. All right, y'all, here we go. Here we go. All right, so every once in a month, I take my youth kids. We go out and we go to my job. I work at Grand Stations, the bowling alley. We go, we have fun, we do it all, we bowl, we just have a real good time. And one of my students said something to me that I still remember to this day. He said, man, Devon, when I get older, I want to be just like you. And I was like, man, like as a man, like that compliment makes you feel like Superman. But as I start to see his mother go to pick him up, and I start to remember, I was like, but he don't know everything that I am. He don't know everything that I've sacrificed in order to be successful. Growing up as a kid, I knew you couldn't have one thing without the other. There was peanut butter and jelly. You had Kool-Aid and sugar. And in my case, more sugar. But you do not have success without sacrifice. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is success and sacrifice. So, by your head, we're going to pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, Lord. Take me out of my flesh and you enter and give us a word that can heal the heart, save a soul, and inspire somebody to be great. I thank you and I love you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So it brought me to the scripture, Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse 8. Don't mind pulling it out because they only gave me time of a Super Bowl commercial to be up here. So it says, study this book of instructions continuously. Meditate on it day and night. So if you do this to obey everything that's written in it, only will you be prosperous and also succeed in all that you do. So I said, okay, all right. God, he gave me the plan. He said, all right, this is what I need to do to be successful. All right, God, what I got to sacrifice? Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you. Number one is bad habits. You must sacrifice bad habits. You are what you steadily do. That's for it is a habit. And I can tell y'all, he's like, man, Devon, that's just how I am. That's how, that's the person I am. No, because nobody here can tell me that they was born knowing how to brush their teeth. Because every single day, your mama said, get up, go in there and brush your teeth. That's a habit you created over time. That's a good habit. So, verse one, if you're taking notes, bad habits. You want to get those out of your way. Number two, it's time. Time, time, time. You want to sacrifice time in order to be successful. I hear people always say, yeah, I'm going to make time. I'm going to get back with you. I'm going to make time to get back with you. Let me tell y'all something. Get back with you ain't never had a date. Get back with you ain't never had a date. Pastor Nate said all the time, you got to take time. You got to take time. So I told God, I wanted a better prayer life. So God, I give you three, six, and nine. Three, six, and nine. I set my alarm clock for three, six, and nine. That's the time, no matter where I at, that's when I get down and pray. And he was like, okay, that's it right there. Anybody knows me. When that alarm goes out, it's what? It's time to pray. That's our number two. Our number two is time. Number three, and this is the biggest one right here, is 
you have to sacrifice certain relationships. And I understand that's my boo, that's Bucci, that's all them. But let me tell you something. I had a friend, a close friend. He's, he, all he know was he was from the hood. All he know was hood, hood. He's from the hood where you can't leave your bike outside. That's where he's from. So I said, all right, I'm going to take him to a company picnic. We're going to have a good time. We're going to do our thing, all right? So we playing volleyball, barbecue. Everything's going good. Then all of a sudden, everybody's rushing to my boss. His nose is bleeding. And we're like, man, what's going on? What happened? And I'm looking at my friend. He's going back and forth, frustrated. I said, man, what you do? He said, man, he kept looking at me. Right there, I knew. My grandma told me something at a very young age as a kid. She said, son, everybody that come with you can't go with you. Everybody that come with you can't go with you. I know you want to look out, but everybody that come with you can't go with you. And for the ones that's here saying, well, Devon, what if, what if all I have is sacrifice? Let me tell you something. God will honor your sacrifice. He will honor your sacrifice. You, know how, you, you want to know how I know how? Because when he seen that we was going to fail, he said, prepare a body for I will go down and take on the sins of my people's soul that I will make a, something permanent on and on and on and on and go on because he said, I am the true sacrifice. I sent my son down to save you, you and you. So if you are in that moment right now where you just have all you have is sacrifice, I encourage you to hang in there just a little bit longer. If you build, a if you build an altar before you build a house, God will pour you out a blessing that you won't have enough room to refill. I say this to y'all. If you don't... Hear anything else I say, you won't have success if you don't truly sacrifice. That is my time. God, I love y'all. I love it. I think the thing I took most was one of the last things he said. He said, build an altar before you build a house. Put God first and everything. Give it up for Devon one more time. All right, we're gonna keep it going. The next speaker, she has been brought up in this church pretty much all, if most, if not all of her life. She serves faithfully as our Skybreak Kids director. She has a heart for this house. Help me welcome to the stage, Celeste Fields. What's up, Skybreak Church? How's everybody doing this morning? Are y'all good? Good, good. Awesome. Hey, well, as Pastor Jared said, my name is Celeste, and I get the privilege of serving here on staff as our Skybreak Kids Director, and I do not take that lightly. Your kids mean so much to us, not just to me, but to our pastoral staff. And I want to say thank you to Pastors Danny and Janet and Pastors Nate and Kendall for giving me the opportunity to share today. This platform was built on faithfulness, steadfastness, and we thank you so much. Can we give them a round of applause? Yeah. Well, I want to start real quick with praying. It's more so for me, not for you. <laughs> but if you would bow your head and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now, and I just thank you for this day. I ask right now that my words would be edifying. I declare right now that where there is death, there would be life. And where there is drought, there would be rain. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said Amen. Awesome. Well, today I'm going to be sharing about something. It's called seed, time, and harvest. So if you're ready to jump in, I want you to say, oh yeah. Awesome. You see, if you've ever planted a seed, you know it takes time to see the fruit of that seed. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen overnight. But 
I want you to know how many of you have planted a seed. I want to ask, how many of you have planted a seed and you're waiting for Jesus to bring the fruit? Yeah? Well, I want to tell you today, it's coming. It says in Galatians 6, verse 10, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, all God asks of us is to sow the seed, do the good, but it requires time. It doesn't happen overnight, unfortunately. He will bring the harvest, though, if we do not give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, do not give up. You see, I believe this morning that some of you, you've sown seed in your family. And I'm not talking about physical seed, but I'm saying seeds of prayer and love. And you're waiting for the harvest. Some of you have sown seed in your singleness. You're pursuing the Lord. You're going after all that he has for you. And you're waiting to see the harvest of marriage. Maybe some of you, you're sowing seed in your job. You're staying steadfast. You're staying faithful. You're working hard, being committed. And you're waiting for that promotion. How many of you are believing for that to happen today? Yeah? Then the last thing is maybe you're sowing seed in your health. You're eating well, working out. And I wanna remind us, don't let the amount of time it's taking to see the harvest discourage you. I'm gonna say that again. Don't allow the amount of time it's seeing, it's taking to see the harvest discourage you. So real quick, I want to remind us that when we're sowing seed, when we've sown seed, we don't just sit and wait, but we have to water it with the word. We have to read the word of God and we have to stay standing in the sun. I'm not talking about the sun shining. I'm talking about the person King Jesus today. So three points that I want to share with us real quick. Don't stop doing good. Don't stop doing good. Keep sowing the seed. Don't get impatient and uproot the seed before it's time. The next point that I want to make is don't miss the proper time. How many times do we get distracted because we begin to compare ourselves that somebody seemed to have arrived faster than us? What roadblocks did God put in the way to protect you? We got to ask ourselves. We cannot compare. Don't give up on the harvest. You see this one, it got me. If we aren't careful, we will take the harvest we've been given and use it based on what we see versus what God said. Don't squander your harvest. So today, I want to encourage you to evaluate, where am I at? Am I in a season of sowing? Am I in a season of waiting? Or am I in a season of harvesting? So that's it. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Love it. Man, I love what she said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up how she said it, but she's saying in the waiting, don't base it on what you see, but what God said. That's so important, based on what God says, because sometimes what we see doesn't look like what God says, but we got to trust him. All right. Y'all ready for the next one? Ready or not? Here they come. So this next person has been a part of Skybreak Church for a very long time. As in fact, they are so a part of Skybreak Church, they are actually part of the Green family. And they help serve on our MC team as well as our kids team. And she just so happens to be married to this man right here. Y'all help me welcome Kendra Green to the stage this morning. Kendra, and as of March of this year, I am a new student studying psychology, and then I am also the proud owner of 10 new chickens, 
And then this fall, I will be a new homeschool mom. So got a lot of new going on in my life. And my title today is New, Not Nostalgic. And that's very hard for me to say as an Enneagram 4, if you know anything about the Enneagram. The two scriptures I want to start off with today are Isaiah 43, 19. It says, I am doing a new. Say new. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. My second scripture is Mark 2, 22. It says, and no one puts new, say new, wine into old wineskin. For the wine would burst in the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskin. Maybe you're here today and you've lost your hope. Maybe the life as you've known it the past several years has crumbled and your life looks vastly different than it once looked. It could be that you're stuck in the past. It could be that you've lost all sense of hope and you're just asking God, what's next? Maybe you're stuck. Have you ever been stuck before? Okay, if you're stuck right now, there's two ways you can get unstuck. First, you get rid of the old. First thing you gotta do, get rid of that old wineskin. And then secondly, do something new in that order. Get rid of the old and then do something new. It just takes one step for all the dominoes to fall. Just one new thing for motivation to get started, to do one new thing. Maybe you have an idea of a business you want to start. Maybe you have an idea of something you've always wanted to do. Listen to yourself in conversation. What do you catch yourself saying when you're like, man, I wish I could do that. I've always wanted to do this. Well, why not now? Do it now. When you're so full of the past, there's no space left for God to do what he wants to do that's new. It could be that your nostalgia is taking up spaces that God wants to occupy. We think nostalgia as a good thing, like, oh, remember when? Well, sometimes we can get caught up thinking, well, remember how things used to be? And God, why are things different than how they used to be? When we get like that, we get bitter and we get blinded to what God wants to do next. So make sure that your nostalgia is not getting in the way of what's new. And I want to encourage you because when you do something new, here's what happens. First of all, you get more brave. Step one, you get more brave. It gives you the opportunity to actually be proud of yourself. When you do the same thing day in and day out, you get stuck and it feels mundane and boring, right? Well, the next thing that happens, your capacity grows. So you learn new skills and your brain makes new connections that can be carried over into other areas of your life. So not only does, do you grow in this one area, your whole life gets elevated. And then three, your humility grows. As a beginner, you, you're saying a lot, well, I'm new, I'm new here. I'm new at this. I don't know. So you're going to be asking lots of questions. You're going to have to admit that you don't know, and that's okay. And then number four, your reliance on Jesus increases. When you've never done something before, you really have to put your faith in his hands, right? When you've never been somewhere before, you really have to ask God what your next step is going to be. You know, Jesus was new at this. When he came, no one came before him. He had no path to follow. All he had to do was listen to God and ask him what to do next. When you do things new, you get closer to God because you're praying more. Whenever you have to rely on Jesus, the, the future may be unsure, but you know that with God and yourself, that's a majority. All you have to do is hold the hand of God and step into the future and what he has for you. It could be that this nostalgic, you, you think it's maybe loyalty. We use that word like it's something good, but we could be loyal to something in spaces where God is no longer occupying. 
His presence could have left, but he's asking you to move forward. And here you are holding on to the past, ready to move forward, but you got to let it go. Everyone say, let it go. Step into the new. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ow, her ring killed me. But that was awesome. I love what she said. She said, don't let nostalgia occupy the space that God wants in your life. So the old was pa- uh, the, the, the past was good. We honor that, but God is moving and we want to move with him. All right, are y'all ready? So this next person I love dearly. They are uh, very tall. They uh, have a commanding presence. He also serves as one of our MCs here at Skybreak Church, and he is the director of player development for Texas A&M Athletics. How about you help me welcome to the stage, Mikado Henson. To the pastors of the house, thank you for the opportunity. To my family, shout out, I love you. In the early 1900s, the largest Salvation Army sat just outside of London. Outside the building is a huge block of stone. Chiseled on one side, it says, in 1910, William Booth of the Salvation Army opened this core. On the other side, it says, Kate and Mary Jackson, officers in this core. It was in a poor area where they spin and weave cotton into cloth. The whole town was on the poverty level. Kate and Mary Jackson labored for a couple of years and nothing happened. There was a phrase in England used about the worst of people. They go to the Salvation Army for soup, soap, and salvation. The Jackson sisters worked diligently and went to bed exhausted every night, discouraged and despondent. So they wrote William Booth a letter and it simply stated, would you kindly move us to another station? We're so tired and disheartened. We've tried everything that we've been taught to use. Please move us. Booth sent a telegram back with two words. Try tears. They did and saw real revival come to that mission. Those ladies engaged in travailing prayer, not just prayer, but travailing prayer, prayer with anguish in it, and God moved. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her, he was deeply moved with compassion. And in his spirit, he was troubled. Where have you put him at him? They asked. He asked, Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. The facts were Lazarus was dead. The facts are that Mary and Martha were distraught, disappointed, and full of despair to the point of tears. Mary ran out to where Jesus was and pleaded with him with one final cry. The truth of the matter is her tears not only caused Jesus to weep, but he moved, it moved him to respond. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. Beloved, when was the last time that you were so desperate for a move of God in your situation that it has brought you to tears? All you've done is pray and cry, 
All you've done is cry and pray, and nothing has happened. Like Kate and Mary Washington, you've tried everything, and you're at your wit's end. Is this where you are, beloved? Might I encourage you with two words? Try tears. Reach a point of desperation and anguish in your soul that, God, if you don't move, it won't happen. Maybe it's a salvation of a spouse that you've been praying for for years. Try tears. Maybe it's the return of a wayward child. Try tears. Maybe it's the restoration of your marriage. Try tears. Maybe it's a broken and calloused heart that you've developed in your life and bitterness and, and unforgiveness are ruling you. Try tears. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's a financial situation. You fill in the blank. Try tears. Maybe it's the hurt, the pain, the tragedy, the division in this country. Try tears. Because, beloved, if there's one thing that moves God, it is the anguish of a soul. And that he will be moved with compassion. That shared suffering with you. Kate and Mary Washington had tried everything that they knew to try. But William Booth, in the wisdom of God, encouraged them with one last thing. Try tears. Because, beloved, God sees what you're going through. He sees it. But he also knows it intimately. And here's the good news. He cares. He cares about what you and I are going through. Reduce it all down. You work hard to your wits end. But might I encourage you, get to a place where you move Jesus to weep and he responds, try tears. Man, that was powerful stuff. Try tears. How desperate are you for God? to move in your life. I love it. And when you do that, when you pray and you try tears, as Mikado just said, God is moved with compassion. I love it. All right. We have one more speaker today. Uh, this person, um, she is an MC here at Skybreak Church. She has grown up in this house. She is a product of this house. And she just so happens to be my sister-in-law. Help me welcome Amber Simmons to the stage. First of all, just like they did, I want to honor pastors. Thank you so much for the opportunity to stand up here. I am super grateful. And I'm just going to jump in. So I'm going to read from Mark verses four, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 39. It says, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Uh, so by a show of hands, how many of you have heard of the show Survivor? They're on season 589, like at this point. 
uh, basically the premise of the show is getting a lot of people together. You put them in survival situations or challenges and see who comes out the winner, right? Well, since Survivor, there have been several more intense spinoffs. Maybe you've heard of a few of these, Man vs. Wild, Naked and Afraid, Survivor Man, Alone, etc., right? If you were here last week, Pastor Jared actually mentioned and talked about the show Alone. So thanks for stealing my example, Pastor Jared. Appreciate that. Um, And some of these are really intense. They drop somebody in the middle of the wilderness, the Arctic, the desert, whatever it may be, and see how long they can survive, right? Before they need medical intervention, they get too lonely, they get eaten by a bear, like whatever happens. The only thing that these people in the show are worried about is surviving in their surroundings. They have no other objective, literally, right? They want to make it out alive, so they're in full survival mode. And I can't help but imagine this scene that I just read in that passage as an episode kind of in one of these shows. Because the disciples and Jesus are in a boat and nature is raging against them, right? The storm's going on. There's waves crashing. The wind's going crazy. It says the water is swamping the boat. So it's filling it up. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, today's the day we lose our lives, right? Of course, they immediately go into survival mode. How can we preserve ourselves here? How can we make it out of this alive? So I'm not sure about you, but this sentiment of surviving when it gets really chaotic in our lives really hits home with me. Because how often is survival my motto in life? Like, I just need to survive this week and I'll be okay. Or I'm in survival mode right now. Or if I can survive this, I can survive anything. And survival kind of becomes a moment in our lives to a season of our lives And before we know it, we're going from one season of survival to the next. So it makes me wonder if both in this story and Mark and in my own life and situations, what would it look like if I chose something other than survival? What if I chose to surrender instead of just survive? See, Jesus is asleep in the boat while this crazy storm is happening. So the disciples are like, we might die in this storm. This storm is about to kill us. But what's Jesus doing? He's in a posture of rest, or in other words, a posture of surrender, right? Do you think the disciples knew they had a choice that day? Can you blame them? I can't. It's so hard to have any kind of perspective when we feel like we're about to drown. When life gets tough and we're facing depression, financial uncertainty, our marriage is in shambles, we've been rejected by someone, we're unsure what tomorrow holds, it is hard to do anything but stay afloat. But I do wonder what could happen if we reflected not upon the chaos, but on him. And we spoke into our situation and said, I know you want to take me down. I know your job is to kill me. I know you want to see me defeated. But today I'm not choosing to just survive. Jesus is in my boat. He's with me. So I'm going to choose to open my heart and my hands and let him take control and surrender instead of survive. See, surrendering, it's an internal thing. Surrendering doesn't always change what's happening around us. So I don't want you to think that the storms of life will cease because we've chosen to surrender. We know the storms will always be there. The difference is what we choose to do and whom we choose to trust in the midst of those storms. So knowing that, I don't want the narrative of my life to be living in one season of survival to the next. I want to reflect on the kind of surrender that Jesus had when that boat was rocking like crazy. And I want to choose to surrender instead of just survive. Thanks, guys. 
can we give it up for our five speakers this morning? I want to do something different. I want to ask everyone to stand to your feet in the room. You just heard five incredible messages, all from different aspects, different flavors, different areas of life, but all applicable, whether it was surrendering, whether it was trying tears, seed time and harvest, stepping into something new or experiencing sacrifice in your life. I want to tell you about something about surrender. I read the quote earlier, I read the scripture earlier this morning in John 3, 16. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if you would just believe in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. You want to talk about surrender. The perfect picture of surrender is my savior on a cross, nailing his sin, or nailing our sins and our shame and our guilt onto the cross. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I don't know what you've walked in here with this morning. I don't know the struggle you're facing, but God does. In Romans 10, 9, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of that surrender. It has nothing to do with how good or bad you think you are. As a matter of fact, Paul said in the New Testament, he said, if we could earn our salvation, then Jesus died for nothing, but we can't earn it. Jesus surrendered his life on the cross, taking the punishment, the Bible says, that we deserved. The Bible said it was on him, and he took that punishment. He took the stripes on his back for your healing. He took the nails in his hands and in his feet in the crown of thorns as a mockery on his head. He did that for you, and his blood was shed the Bible says, for the forgiveness of our sins. And here's the beauty of it. The story doesn't end there. The story doesn't stop at the cross because Jesus got out of the grave three days later, the Bible says, with all power, with the keys to death, hell, in the grave, in his hands. And so now, he, because of his sacrifice, we can put our faith in him. And the Bible says that when we do that, our sin that separated us from God, our, we are now restored and we are in right standing with God the Father. The Bible word is righteousness. We are in righteousness with God the Father because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do to earn it. The Bible says that no one can earn it so that no one can boast. It is a free gift. It's that gift of grace, which just simply means undeserved, unmerited favor. And so we don't want to let an opportunity pass by without extending an invitation. Maybe for some of you, Jesus has been knocking on your heart. You've been coming to church a while and you felt like making that decision, but you're just unsure. Maybe this is your first time here. I want you to know that when Jesus went to the cross, he had you on his mind. And if, if one person would accept Jesus, he would have done it anyway. And so I'm going to pray a prayer with you. But I want to know who I'm praying for. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm going to extend that invitation. I'm just going to simply count down from three. I'm not going to have you come forward or anything like that. But I want you to raise your hand on the count of three because I believe when you do that, when you, when you show something on the outside, something solidifies on the inside. It's that step of faith because that's what salvation is. It's a step of faith, not of our own doing, but what Jesus already did for us on the cross. So if that's you this morning and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior, I'm going to count down from three. And I just want you to slip up your hand. Three, two, one. If that's you this morning, I see your hand. I see it. I see it. I see it. Hands going up all over the room. I see it. I see it. Thank you, Jesus. I see it. Anybody else? Anybody else? 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. People making decisions right now to invite Jesus into their heart. I see it. I see your hands. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You can put your hands down. I want everyone in the room to pray this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person. I believe that you died and that you rose again for me. I trust you. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate with those who made that decision? Come on. Hey, the Bible says when one person accepts Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. And so I want to encourage you this morning that because of your decision, there is a party going on in heaven right now.